Hi friends, Help Me Be Me is advertising free and takes hundreds of hours to create. If you get anything out of the work I do or it improves your life, consider a monthly donation. Visit patreon.com slash or head to helpmebeme.com and click donate. Thank you. Hello, lovely friends. This is Sarah May. This is an episode called Love and Honesty. What we hide and why. So it's about why sometimes people aren't honest with us and sometimes we're not honest with ourselves in love. And this one's written for a person who contacted me who's newly single and dating quite a bit and they have a few different partners and a lot of difficulty saying uh, that they are where they are because to admit it goes against everything this person wants. So this is all about how the simple act of being honest can change your life in awesome, earth-shattering ways. So I want to talk about honesty and dishonesty and how it comes into play in relationships specifically. So if you're the type of person who dates and doesn't tell the other person where you're really at, or if you're a super jealous and suspicious type um, and it kind of drives you crazy, then this is for you. So just to be clear, this is not about the trivial niceness dishonesty, the stuff like telling somebody you love their pie when you don't or saying you have to cancel plans because because you have to work when it's really because you just don't feel like going out. This is about emotional honesty. So like the habits and ways of being that seem small, but they're actually the things that create who you are and the choices you make and they dictate how you form bonds with others. So I'm not covering sociopaths and pathological liars. You'll see that pathological liars, um, they lie incessantly to exaggerate their own importance. Um, But if you are wondering if a person you are with is a pathological liar or a sociopath, please purchase Women Who Love Psychopaths. It's an amazing book. Buy it immediately. Moving on. You can also listen to, I have an episode that's all about um, narcissists. That would be helpful as well. So this episode is kind of like emotional lying. And it's something that's more subtle and insidious because it hurts uh, because of how it guides and it hurts your life. It's actually a symptom of a struggle with acceptance. So what I'd, I'd like to give you with this podcast is insight into why you might be shielding others from the truth of you and or why you might be or what why others in your life might be doing this to you. So I'd also like to sell you on the amazing and powerful benefits of just living as an honest person and letting go of control because that practice changes your life in like such dramatic and wonderful ways. It's amazing. So without further ado, there are three parts, the what, the why, and the how, the tools. Part one, the what. Emotional honesty with yourself and with others, meaning authenticity in your way of being. So when it comes to relationships, honesty is a sign of wholeness, of confidence, and self-love. I think of honesty as like a synonym for trust and intimacy because it's powerful in what it does to everything about your life. It immediately makes you closer to others and it actually shapes how you show up just as yourself. 
It's like all of you is there. So a lack of honesty can taint your relationship just as powerfully. So some people refer to lying as relationship termites. In my opinion, the importance of emotional honesty isn't quantified by the individual lies themselves or specifics or, you know, it can't be measured so uh, individually. It's all about the connection you have to your inner compass. So it relates to the hierarchy that's guiding you and your decision-making throughout your life. I think of emotional honesty as like a, a way you approach today. It's just, it's almost like a character choice in how you choose to show up to your present moment. So emotional honesty can actually be tackled and changed today, right now, like as you listen to this. I think of it like a simple way of being because it's not the individual instances that you must address. It's your approach to being yourself, who you choose to be and the values you decide to embody. So it's like your go-to stance as a person. So this is like a decoder ring to every individual instance you might encounter. So once you act as this person you decide to be and you practice owning your truth as you are, everything in your life will rearrange itself accordingly. Like you don't have to actually fix things or struggle or wish things anymore. It's like the fear evaporates and everything in your life just gets super simple. It's almost like a relief because there's only ever one truth and it just is. And you don't have to do anything about it, but move through it. So once you approach your life with authenticity, you'll begin to just confront things as they arise. They won't be pushed to the side or managed. They will just be. You know that they'll be difficult or they'll hurt, and that's just what you will accept you will go through. And you won't do it with a struggle, and you won't have to make solutions for them or try and pretend it's not happening because your life will just be what it's meant to be. It'll be guided by who you are and what you want in love and in all of your relationships. So suddenly it's like this way of being is the most empowering form of you just because you're confronting things as you need to without delaying. And instead of doing things in two years from now when you can't fix it any longer or it just really, really doesn't work anymore, you will make the change when it needs to get made. And so when it comes to love, you end up finding who you're meant to be with and you make your life into what it will make you the most happy. So that is my description of the what, which is just emotional honesty and how it pertains to your life. Part two is the why. So why people are not emotionally honest or why we lie or why we hide from our emotions. And that's usually for one of five reasons. Number one, to protect somebody. Two, a fear of abandonment. Three, control over what somebody else does. Number four, control over how others perceive us. Or number five, to avoid a conflict or a punishment. So when we're dishonest on our relationship, relationships, often it's a sign of something bigger at play. So when it comes to like a lack of acceptance of ourself, of what we're feeling, of what that might mean about what needs to happen in our life. 
So when we're dishonest with ourselves, it's a way to avoid the truth. It's a way to control and alter what must be done so that we don't have to face it. Dishonesty is like a system of controlling what scares us. It's usually something like a fear of loss, a fear of betrayal, a fear of being hurt, of being seen, or of being controlled by somebody else. So when it comes to love, the fears and the ties that we have are very primal because they're really linked to our first intimate relationships, those of our family. So the fears we feel are kind of encoded by these bonds that we formed early on in life with our family. So they change with our romantic relationships. They'll evolve based on just the stage we're at in a relationship and how that affects um, our individual life stages. So we still go through individual um, shifts, even if we're in like a bond, you know, like a long-term relationship, you'll still go through like your individual uh personality changes, you know? So I'm going to go through a couple of these stages roughly. So there's courtship, a relationship, and then marriage. So stage one, let's say it's courtship and dating. So in courting, people aren't honest when they are afraid others are not going to like their truth and where they are in life. So let's say somebody's not ready for a commitment. That might be a place where somebody won't want to be honest. And courtship is also when people might compartmentalize their relationships and the information that they give out to people so that they can maintain control over the relationship and how others perceive them. So it's like a way of maintaining autonomy, having your cake and eating it too. However, it's really bad to do any kind of controlling, um, fearful, fearful controlling of others because... As soon as you misrepresent yourself when you're dating somebody and you have changed the their perception of you, you create a separate reality. So suddenly it's a bond that's created in a separate world and it's one that you know the bounds of. So you, in doing this, you're actually removing your intimate experience of the bond, which is cheating yourself out of something pretty powerful and wonderful. When you do that, you also remove your trust in somebody else and their ability to love and accept you. So it's like you have uh, taken away their chance at potentially showing up for you. So it's like you put something between the two of you. You remove some aspect of your own participation in your relationships. So it is this effect that keeps you from fully participating in love and enjoying love to the utmost. So it's like this, the simple act of not being honest is like a tiny death. Like you removed some access you have to full participation in just the fact that you chose to control it. It's also a way to self-protect. So it's like staying outside of the ring and protecting yourself from being hurt by the other person. So this kind of dishonesty, it's also coming from a lack of trust in oneself. Sometimes we think what we want is wrong or it's not what others want it to be and we won't be accepted. And so when we believe that what we want is wrong, it's usually unconscious. So it's guiding us without us knowing. And it's also, it's coming from a fear, uh, a deep down fear, like something old. I always think it's some undealt with belief that we're bad. 
And that creates kind of like an unbearable um, vulnerability. And therefore, we're protecting just not wanting to be injured. When people are pervasively dishonest about who they are, it's often coming from just a simple lack of awareness of what's going on inside of them. So, for example, let's say you find yourself lying often and you can't tell why you do it, but maybe you're not honest with anybody and you kind of say what you think they want to hear and you actually don't have any idea how you actually feel about any of it. So check in with yourself right now if you have this problem. Maybe you have no idea how you feel at all. If that's the case, I can relate. I was like that in high school. I had no idea how I felt about anything, and it was because I was totally numb. I had no idea if anything was good or bad or if anyone was my friend or not my friend. It was like I was completely disconnected from all experiences. So if this sounds like you, then I believe you have unaddressed uh, painful experiences, like you have a past trauma. It means your pipe to your compass is blocked off. So, yeah. I would say examine that, think about it. You might remember a trauma and think that it's not affecting you at all, but it's actually working beneath the surface of your subconscious. It's like a subterranean cycle of running from a secret truth. Here's how that works. So we lie to control others, but ironically, we are doing it for ourselves. So it's something like you might have done when you were a kid, and now it's a blur because your brain is kind of paved over the history But when you lie, your natural inclination is to want to believe your own lie. That's just like the natural human tendency. So as this happens, your view of reality gets distorted. So in hindsight, you will not know where you begin and the lies end. So it's like just it's a human habit to rationalize your own behavior. Most people rationalize their own behavior and rationalize dishonesty quote, a little bit at a time. So in other words, just enough to feel like we get what we want, but we're still good people. So it's when those rationalizations take over that we get into trouble because that's when we get confused about who we are. It's when we become a gray area because we lose sight of where we end and the false truths begin. It gets very hazy because what we end up doing is we lose sight of what we truly want. We just become this cycle of behavior, of saying something or doing something, and we end up choosing in favor of what other people want or what we're afraid of or what we're afraid to accept instead of what we actually want and our highest goals. So it's like this path that's built by softening, controlling, soothing, and a resistance to what is. So honesty is vital to your way of being while you are dating because, well, there are many reasons. Misleading people makes you feel like a bad person. It tells you that you are a bad person. And it also makes other people like, feel like they're losing their mind. And it's, it's unfair and it's cruel. And you're also cheating somebody else out of their ability to make a decision in the situation. Honesty is also vital because you want all of you as a part of what you bring to the table because polarity is what attracts others. Like, you, it's the prime ingredient for passion. You want somebody real 
who knows who they are and who they aren't and isn't afraid to say it. And the more you get someone who will say and be whatever you want them to be, the less of anything real you're going to feel with that person. You need the pull. You need the push. In love especially. You want somebody to be autonomous and know themselves so that you can share each other. You can, they're bringing a whole person to the table. And that's when you have that pull of attraction. Because otherwise you're just, you're talking about platonic friendship. It's like a neutral bond. It stays, for the most part, not very passionate, not very sexual. So the polarity is kind of like an essential building block of, you know, I want this and I don't want this. And like that kind of should have friction, you know, like that's what the good part of friction is coming together. That was my prolonged section of relationships. Oh, sorry, of dating. So this next part is all about relationships. This is this next bucket of forms of dishonesty, of emotional dishonesty. Relationships are built around a simultaneous and opposite need to be intimate with somebody and autonomous as an individual. And therefore, this is where all relationship conflicts arise from. It's kind of this power struggle between two, these two needs that are simultaneous and opposite, and they're being hashed out and decided for the first time between two separate individuals as they form a bond that is a relationship. So in a relationship, there is a constant push and pull between these two ideas of reality and of love as they merge into one story. So common lies that come up are usually related to one person in the relationship attempting to gain power um, over the other one. So, for example, you might lie to a partner as a way to support your view, your view being right. Other common lines are ways to retain um, autonomy in the face of somebody that's demanding more intimacy. So it's like this push-pull of control. So, for example, let's say one person in a party in a relationship wants to know every intimate detail of your mind and your emotions, and you withhold that and intentionally keep it mysterious or confusing. And this would be like a tactic to protect yourself from being owned by this other person. And you just might not want to be known completely or seen completely because that would cause you to lose all of your power over yourself and your life in this relationship. So if you don't want to be seen, part of you thinks you'll lose autonomy. And also part of you thinks that when you're seen, maybe, you know, Maybe they'll just be disappointed by you. So it's also like a protective control thing. So maybe you keep yourself private and vague and unknown intentionally. But to the other person, that might feel like a lie. It might feel like you're being dishonest. So they might experience you as very confusing and not aligned and that you're not wanting to be seen by them maybe looks like deception and like they feel a lack of trust because of this. So these are just two opposite um, love languages and two opposite kind of uh, needs and way, the ways we're manifesting these needs, like coming into conflict in the form of a relationship and how you build this bond of trust. In marriage, this is the third stage of relationships I'm covering. 
In marriage, often dishonesty and infidelity come into play when a couple faces like a life stage shift, and that catalyzes like a shift in each individual and their unique experience of their life. So specific stages trigger old family dynamics, almost like they're like pressing play on an old cartoon or something. Like all of a sudden it activates these these very ancient roles in us. So in a marriage, there are kind of well-known stages that people go through that trigger big, they're just big eras of change in a relationship. So here are a few of them. There's the initial end of the fantasy, which is like the first, after the first two years-ish, two to five years of marriage. And that's when people basically get to know each other for real versus like whatever they've perceived in their idealizations of one another. There is the beginning of the child rearing stage, which brings up like stuff to do with parents and our issues with our parents. And then there's the end of child rearing, which is like when you're back together alone and you're no longer focused on the kids anymore. So those are the times like of major change when a couple might be the most vulnerable to somebody being um, dishonest or having an affair or cheating because this is when people experience the most stress and change. And change is traumatic because it's when relationships have to reorganize around new truth. And ironically, often in relationships... A lie will be a way of distracting focus from a real problem. Like an affair will even be a way of distracting focus from the actual emotional bond that is the relationship. So the real problem is just that there is a threat to this emotional bond itself, which for both people in a couple is too scary to examine. So the lie becomes like a new point of focus that's removed and therefore less intense. And it can be anything. It can be another person. It could be a secret habit, something like smoking. But what matters is it's this thing to label, quote, the problem. And you can battle over that thing or feel like obsessed with that thing. And you're not looking at the relationship anymore. So they call it triangulating. They, the peeps in the books. So this is all this information is in this amazing book called Intimate Partners by Maggie Scarf. And I'm going to post it in the blog. I'm obsessed with it. I'm reading it right now. It's amazing. Um, I'm actually going to write another blog based off of it soon on families of origin. So stay tuned for that if you like this. <sighs> Where was I? <clears throat> okay, so cheating, cheating. Cheating is like a way to avoid a direct problem with the couple itself. So it comes about often as like a way to dilute the tension around the relationship. And it's like a subconscious strategy to cope with anxieties around the relationship that a partner cannot handle or face. So I'm not saying it's justified, but it's like they will cope with their inability to face the problem by doing it like in this sideways way. Because when we bring someone else outside of the relationship in, it's a way to just triangulator problems to something outside of the immediate bond. So it's like a a less intense version of the problem because it's diverted to an object outside. I know it sounds strange based on the fact that it becomes the reason that people split up or they don't want to be together, but it's like an easier reason because they can point to it. It's like a solution 
to part of the couple not being able to face fear and uncomfortable, painful uh, truths that they cannot reconcile or or fears that they cannot reconcile. Because it actually, it's often a fear, it's not a truth that people freak the fuck out over when it comes to things like cheating and divorce. And it, I think when they do those things, it's like they feel the pressure removed from their anxieties over commitment. And that's why they do it. It's like something else is helping relieve this tension. So sometimes this other thing, as I said, isn't, you know, a person, it's a habit or it's just, uh, it could be like a couple starts fighting about something like their kids and how the kids are being raised or they start fighting about finances. It's just a way to not confront the real tension because it's the added element that obscures the real issues. Like both people don't want to look at the fact that they might uh, not be in love or something like that. They look, look at something else constantly as a way to just channel. So when it comes to emotional affairs, when people in committed long-term relationships find connections in others spontaneously, it often has something to do with they the role that they have cast themselves in and that they have cast their partner in. And both people have roles they perceive themselves in, and that's based on just how they picture love and commitment and what it's supposed to be so like you might cast yourself in a specific role and then you will cast your partner in another role and then they will have done the same thing to you and those roles will be totally different so part of this like ending of the fantasy stage is people kind of getting used to what their partner really is versus the idealization role that they had cast them in so when that fantasy stage is over your view has now been forced to see the reality of who the person is. And that might make some people very uh, angry. Sometimes it makes people feel like they've been betrayed or duped or disappointed because they, they believe that the other person sold them a raw deal, when in reality it is their perception of the ideal that is just worn off. So they might also perceive their role so strongly that they will seek out somebody else new that will play the other role against theirs. So for example, like let's say this person's role is I'm the rational, strong, emotionally mysterious type. And then they seek out somebody who can play their emotionally bountiful, um, all about me kind of flighty free spirit type. And somebody that's just like obsessed with them and them being kind of a, a pillar of strength. So we seek out others who can kind of reaffirm our parts for us. So let's say that person, when they go through a midlife crisis, they will hunt for a different person that will fill the role that will help them sustain their image of themselves, the role that they've cast themselves in. So they will go back to finding somebody that will be replaying the fantasy stage that is their ideal um, co-star. So usually the person that people seek out when they're having a midlife crisis is is this golden standard of a person who likely doesn't exist anywhere because they are an ideal manifested by that person's mind. So it's it's just like the impossible ideal of a, a partner. That's who they search for. And when they find that, it's them overlaying the fantasy onto a normal human being. And it's not the reality of the human being. 
So a lot of people, when they reach this place and they're hunting for their fantasy, when they're in a relationship, um, they kind of start over and over again. They'll finally get into a relationship. It'll get serious. For the first time, they'll see the real person, minus the fantasy. And then they'll be like, screw you, you lied to me. You're not who I thought. And then they'll start over and they'll find someone new. And then they'll idealize that person. So it's almost like the acceptance of the reality of a person, like the full 360 view of like uh, a, a real human being, is just... The loss of the ideal and of the fantasy is too painful for them to accept. And then they feel like angry and resentful and they just can't reconcile that this ideal doesn't exist. They still want to find the ideal. So in all committed relationships, there is a period of getting to know the truth of a person minus your idealizations. It's just like just the way everything is like the, you know, when you grow up and you like when you're a little kid and you finally realize like how far it is to the store and like in your when you're a kid you can't kind of put that into concrete terms like it's just a form of understanding space in a way like when you get to know a person you you eventually see all of them it's just the way everything is and so what the battle is is what much of a committed relationship is about. It's kind of coming to terms with what your role was as a child, what you believe love should be, and kind of forming a new ideal based on coming together with another person. Because that person's going to have their own set of ideals as well. So you both have to kind of do this constant push and pull of defining how you are going to love and take care of each other, and how you are going to form this new bond together, which will only be written between the two of you. So this bond that is trust and love and relationship, it'll evolve between the two people together, and you get to write it as you go. So you define it as best you can, kind of while battling off the old ghosts of your family relationships. And You'll both be kind and you'll both fight for your needs and you'll both try and accommodate each other's needs. And at the end of the day, it's it'll be imperfect, but it'll be, you know, its own thing. And in general, we all choose people based on kind of what we see in them that we will find. It's like we'll we'll see a missing piece of ourselves in them, almost like it's via telepathy. Like you can sense a piece of yourself in another person, like almost instantly. Maybe not instantly. I had it instantly. But it's like you, when you feel comfortable with a partner, that's when you work out all of your remaining issues that are left over from childhood. That's kind of like the basis for what relationships are, like adult relationships. When you get together with somebody, you see in them the ability to work out your old shit. And then you go through that like a dramatic play and then you work them all out and then you can be happy together. I just realized it took a long detour into something unrelated to honesty. So sorry about that. Where are we? Um, Okay, we're talking about honesty and deception and interpersonal space. So let's get back to this. Let's do the how. How, the how, the tools. So I only have three tools. I'm keeping it simple. So these are for you to use if you're in a relationship or if you're dating or if you're looking for more intimacy, but you find yourself hiding and you don't know why. So there's a little bit for everyone in here. Tool number one is for dating. It's called listen between the words. 
So this is basically if you are dating a lot of the time we get clues and all of the communication we need to receive from somebody but we cannot interpret what they are saying clearly because we don't want the truth to be so. So this is a tool to basically listen for what someone is not saying. As a habit and a rule of thumb, listen when someone is not saying what you want them to say. If you ask them a question and they don't directly answer it, look at that. Look at that simple fact. Are there statements that you want to hear and you're not hearing them? Are there basic truths that are not being spelled out? If someone gives you an indirect answer, that is your answer. I think often we really don't want to hear things and therefore we just choose to avoid them. We ignore the signs. We don't listen to the important parts. We don't listen to the body language. We don't listen to the subtle avoidances of spelling things out. We want to hear an answer that we're not hearing, so we blind ourselves. And all that does is cheat us out of a lot of years and potential time when we'd be in a good relationship. So simply put, keep your eyes open, lean into accepting what someone is not saying that you want them to say. Because usually when people don't want to say the truth, they don't. And this is, it's a basically a passive way of lying. It's a, a way to misrepresent themselves that makes them not have to take action. And therefore, it's a lot easier to do because they're not being active in the dishonesty. So they'll just simply omit by just avoiding answering things. A lot of people choose this because they don't have to actually lie and therefore they don't have to be, um, they don't have to risk as much to control others. So I know this is hard, but push yourself to look at what potentially you don't want to hear. When you're dating especially, it only helps you to keep your eyes wide open and just have the goal of remaining open to accepting what the truth is, like where someone is and where they are not, and what you want and what they don't want or what they can't give you. Don't wish things will change or think they will change because it will only bite you in the end. That's number one. Number two, sexting with a ghost. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to be visual. I'm trying to make it a memorable name. So the other name for this is jealous of a ghost. I don't know why anyone would sext with a ghost, but let's just say it's, yeah, I don't know, something with a ghost. So this is for people that are in a relationship or they're trying to get in a relationship, and it's just something to plant in your mind. Um, if you're the very, if you're a jealous, suspicious type and it's like painful, like if you're constantly threatened by a partner's exes or what they won't tell you about their past and you feel overwhelmingly hurt and jealous over how they felt about somebody else. Like I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about like just being jealous of their past relationships. This is a tool for both of you to use. Because it's basically like you're being jealous of a ghost. The person doesn't exist. It's just this concept of why, what this person meant to this, this person and could it be more than you and how come they won't say and how come you can't know every intimate detail of their life. Because I'm sure if you're like this with your significant other, it's toxifying to both of you. Like it makes your relationship into a constant fight and it makes it into not fun. It's like not love. It's just discussion of this other person. So this is 
a tough thing to facilitate, but it works. So make this one conflict, let's say it's this past relationship or this person, into a task that you will schedule for one hour per week. So literally put on your calendar, let's say it's Sunday nights at 8 p.m. For one hour, you get to, your partner has to sit and listen to everything you are going to say about this issue and how it makes you feel and how it hurts you and why it freaks you out and like say everything you want for one hour and they have to pay absolute attention to you and listen. And that's the only time in the entire week you're ever able to talk about this thing. And here's why this works is because one partner gets to be heard and talk about all of the things that upset them. And then the other person gets to feel safe from attack while you go about your regular life. So this makes every other part of the week just for you guys to be a couple. So you will find that this battle is still about the push-pull dance that is intimacy versus autonomy. It's not what it's about. It's about something else. But it still gives you a, like a way to control the issue so that it doesn't sour the rest of the relationship. That's number two. Number three, listen to the baby ouch. So this is a tool for chronic liars or people who hide the truth or people that know they want to be more honest and want to begin to change their behavior. So it's for those of you who are maybe currently like leaving stuff out in your relationship and it kind of bothers you because you can't see why you're doing it, but you are, and maybe it doesn't feel quite right, but you don't know what you would change. So this is a tool to like start being honest with yourself, basically. So right now you likely can't tell what is good or bad about being honest or not being honest about anything in particular in any of your pending relationships or your current relationships in any given situation, really related to honesty and how you represent yourself to others. There is such a thing as, yes, having your private self and your private life, and you don't have to bear all of that to everyone else as soon as you meet them. This is not about that. It's more about being transparent in where you are with your your life and like what you know they're expecting from you. So if there's a misalignment there and you're a little bit vague and confused as to whether or not something is maybe not where it should be in you, this is the measure for when you should be honest with somebody else. It's known by you and only you innately. And it's something that you're unable to sense right now. That's because the emotions are confusing to you. They're likely conflicting and they're very vague. So this is the tool to help you to begin to identify and understand what your innate measure for honesty is. So when something conflicts you and you get that kind of inner pang of like, huh? You get that inner voice that fights with something. Like you're rationalizing it back and forth. Like maybe I should say something, but I didn't lie, but I really like this person. But I hope they don't think that like if you get that little inner conflict when something doesn't sit quite right, I'm going to call that the baby ouch. So this is like this tiny, uncomfortable, fearful feeling inside. And that is a sign that something in your actions is hurting you. Something in your own behavior is saying, this doesn't feel like me and this isn't who I am. This hurts. That baby ouch 
is what you have to start hearing and then respecting and aligning your actions with. Because it means you're betraying yourself by not respecting your own true values. But I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Just start with identifying when you feel that feeling. As soon as you feel it, as soon as you hear that baby ouch, that's a sign you are not acting in alignment with who you truly are. And then it's just a matter of just tracing what it is that you're doing. What is it that I'm doing that makes me not feel good about myself? Something in you is not aligning with your own person, who you are as an individual person. It's like, I'm not acting like myself. What is the thing that I'm doing? And if you don't, what happens is you abuse yourself. If you don't listen to your true values and like correct the behavior, you're actually contributing to feelings of depression and loneliness and low self-confidence because you're perpetuating all of the confusing behavior that makes you feel like a jerk. And that's not really who you are. So that's number three. In closing, I would like to thank my sponsors, Liz on Patreon. You are awesome, and I love you. You're so, you sent me the dopest letters. You're so nice. I love you. Um, and it's just amazing to me that I can create something from my own mind. And based on what I care about doing, like I can buy books and write about them and post it and then record these. And then people, real people like you, give me donations because it's a value to you. And that sounds weird and obvious, but to me, it's really wonderful and humbling. And I just, a part of me thought I'd be crazy to ask anyone to donate. And that was silly to put up a Patreon page, but I feel very valued and it inspires me to make more content and give you my best. It really does. So thank you. I also wanted to let everyone know um, I have a new podcast. It's called Love is Like a Plant, and uh, it's with a gal, an awesome girl named Ellen Huerta. She is the creator of the Mend app. So if you're interested in, um, it's an app that's for people getting over a breakup, which aligns perfectly with my breakup album. So if you want to be a part of the beta testing, it's open right now. You can head to letsmend.com and check out Ellen. But I brought up Ellen and her app because Ellen and I have a new podcast. It's all about love, dating, heartbreak, and everything in between. It's called Love is Like a Plant. We have a teaser up right now, so check it out on iTunes or SoundCloud and hit subscribe. Um, it's launching later this spring. I digress. <clears throat> Back to closing. In closing, in closing, in order to really be the person you decide to be and embody, you have to act according to what you know are the sources of your issues, meaning you have to take control of them and build paths around them, around your own architecture. I like to think of it as like an Ewok village. <laughs> it's like over the, the trees. We have to build these new systems that are healthy and positive around the trees and the triggers of our past. So you have to take control of your issues and I think a lot of personal growth is about seeing our fabric and choosing to build up these ramps and stairs around our kinks so that we can be the best version of ourselves to others that we know we can be and we should be. And we can also aid ourselves in the growth um, in the direction of our choosing. Honesty is how we own who we are and we confront our truth and deal with it. 
What happens when you choose to accept things honestly and not hide from them no matter what is your life is guided by what it is you truly want. It's like you take out your need to control your fate and suddenly you are just deciding in favor of the truth that is your needs and your wants. And that's when your life aligns and that's when you head toward exactly what it is you've been searching for. So it all starts with just being honest about where we are and what we want to overcome. So when you can see in yourself that there is a misalignment between your actions and your values, this is when you must choose actively in favor of what you know is best, despite yourself. So just begin to build that new Ewok bridge. And that is how you change. And that's when you practice actually empowering yourself and as soon as you can start acting from this place of bravery and you can keep your eyes open and know that it's going to hurt and let go uh, and keep moving through the shit as it comes what happens is you grow to be a super powered like a superhuman it's like i'm not exaggerating as you enact the change that needs to happen and you just embrace a state of honesty about what change needs to come and you just face it, everything about you becomes the most at peace and confident and powerful form of yourself you could ever imagine. It's like you suddenly realize no matter what happens, you will be okay because you have yourself. And even if something terrible happens, you're like, I can deal with it. And I have, it's like you get to let go of the job of worrying about things and trying to control them. And it's like everything gets so simple and so easy because the truth is just the truth. And all I have to do is just, you know, hold on tight and do my best and soothe and take care of myself. And the rest is not my job. It is what it is. And I have to just let go. And as soon as you just get in the habit of acting like that and just, you know, doing what you have to to take care of yourself and moving through the things that have to happen is you begin to change and you allow things to change you and you begin to learn lessons and you grow into just the most wise, happy, calm, balanced, comfortable person that just has just compassion for others, compassion for yourself and I guess just a joy for life. Like you feel fully committed to being alive and you embrace what that gives you because you realize in retrospect, all of the pain, all of the stuff that was hard to go through, you came out of it just like, you know, Iron Man. You got an extra suit. I have Ewoks, I have Iron Man. It's all over the place, but you do. You come out of all of that change and you feel like a million bucks and you're like, wow. I'm so glad that happened to me because it grew me into this other, you know, taller Iron Man Ewok. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. And um, I I will post a blog version of this with all of my references as soon as I can write it up. And um, send you my love. Don't forget to smile. Smile.